The following audio is from Living Acts Church in Tyler, Texas. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Living Acts Church. All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Merry early Christmas. Um, I wasn't uh, in here last week, Hannah and I were in the, the nursery, so I haven't gotten to to sing Christmas songs with a bunch of people yet this year, and man, it is wonderful. <laughs> I love this time of year. It's so great. Um, living in a, a secular society, we don't really have many uh, days or holidays or events in our calendar year that are centered at, at something divine, um, but when you look at Israel in the Old Testament, God actually kind of interwove into their their calendar and their their rhythm of life these um, rituals and these celebrations that they could uh, walk through and experience in some sort of tangible way um, that would remind them of God's mighty works, his mighty deeds. And I think Christmas is a really, really awesome opportunity that is preserved in our culture that we have where we get to kind of reenact this anticipation of Christ coming. Uh, and it really does, I think, just stir our affections for the Lord and gives us such a, a great opportunity to, to marvel at the greatness of the gospel. So uh, excited that we're continuing today in our Advent series. Last week, uh, Andy preached out of Jeremiah 33 and spoke about our great expectation of hope. And he showed us that we're called to hope in, in Christ alone because he is the only sure salvation for us. And this week, uh, we're going to be talking about what it means for us to prepare for the one who will finally and fully bring peace back to creation. So our, our text is going to be uh, the one that the stones read this morning, Isaiah 40, verse 3 through 5. So if you want to uh, turn there, you can. Uh, before we dig further into this passage out of Isaiah, though, I want to kind of explain some of the background of this book so that we can get a little bit better of a, a, a feel for, for what we're reading, hopefully understand it a little bit more. So in this book, we hear the word of God through the prophet Isaiah, and uh, he lived around 100 years before the fall of Jerusalem uh, in 586 BC, and in chapters 1 through 39, we see mostly Isaiah's prophecies of the coming judgment upon Israel. Okay, Israel had rebelled against Yahweh, they, they had forsaken their king, they were worshiping false gods, and Isaiah was proclaiming to them that they were going to be judged for their unfaithfulness, that uh, Assyria and Babylon were going to come and, and destroy them, destroy the temple, capture them, and, and take them into slavery. So that's the first uh, 39 chapters of Isaiah, but then in, or in chapter 40, you see something different, okay? What, what we see from chapter 40 on is Isaiah prophesying to the people of Israel as though the judgment had already occurred. Okay, so, so it's, it's now a word from God for the exiles in Babylon of what is God going to do now? Now that Israel has been judged, um, uh, what is God saying to his people? So uh, with our text being in Isaiah 40, I think that's a, a helpful thing to remember. This is God, uh, God's message to the captives of, of what is next, right? Um, so I want us to remember what Israel had just uh, been through. So I think for um, uh, when, when we look at the scriptures, we see that there's a, a common theme in, in God's judgments for his people, which is that uh, judgment often will entail 
uh, two things. One, uh, typically first, is war, and secondly is slavery. Okay, so when, when Israel rebels and God steps away and removes his favor and his grace, that, that, that kindness that preserves and protects them, then um, Israel becomes overcome. They uh, go into war, they're, they're judged, and then they're enslaved. If you've read the book of Judges before, we see this pattern over and over and over again. Uh, Israel rebels, God judges them um, uh, with another, another nation, and then they cry out to God for, for mercy, and he rescues them. But then they have short-term, long-term memory loss, whatever memory loss is required there, and then they go back to their sin, back to their idols, and God would judge them once more. Um, so this shows us something, I think, about sin, which is that sin destroys peace. Sin turns us against one another and against God, and the result ends up being a world that's filled with hatred and pride and conflict, uh, a world that is, is fractured in every way. And I think Andy talked about this last week, but, but uh, peace, uh, the, the Hebrew word shalom, carries with it this concept of, of completion, of fullness, right? So, so when something is broken, when, when, when things are, are not whole, that is where uh, there's need for shalom. There's need for true peace, for, for wholeness. Um, so we know that God, uh, Scripture describes God as the God of all peace, and uh, even the Prince of Peace, which I think tells us that he is both the, the source and the standard of true peace, true shalom. We abandon God, we lose the peace and that shalom that we were created to experience both with him and with his good creation. And I, I'd venture to say that, that most of us have probably never lived in a, a, a war-torn society. I, I know that I, I have not. Um, but I want us to just consider a few things, and there's so many more, but a few things that, that Israel would have likely gone through in this judgment. Uh, since men are the ones who are most often called into battle, uh, this will, will leave families fatherless. Okay, so, so this, this results in there being... Uh, many, many widows, many orphans, uh, and, and it dismantles the family unit that God has designed for good. And obviously, slavery also clearly dismantles families because it, it separates its members out to the highest bidders. Oftentimes, um, I think we can feel at home. This is a great example, actually. I just saw this. Um, like this morning, while I'm singing, I felt at home here with all of you. Um, it's weird. I never thought about it this way. But um, like the reason that I feel at home is not because I sleep at the dance and drill, though that would save some money on rent. But, but the, the reason that I feel at home with you is because you're, you're my family, right? You, you are, are the people closest to me in my life. Um, so it's not so much a physical structure that gives that, that feeling of, of safety and security that a home provides, but, but it's the people. So when you think about what war and slavery does to a society, it, it ruins all of that. Right by, by dividing families, so uh, the judgment that, that Israel underwent would have would have caused this, and uh, even something that I was thinking about as I was preparing for this sermon um, that that I don't really consider enough, and I think I just take for granted is the feeling of comfort that I have being in my homeland. Okay, America is uh, a very big uh, nation, and it's diverse. Uh, and there's a lot of divides in our country. And yet, there's something about standing on this ground that makes me feel more comfortable, uh, more at home, more safe 
uh, because I'm among my homeland, right? I know the number to call if there's an emergency. I speak the language that most of the people speak, right? So there's, there's that sense of, uh, of, of, you can even say peace there, uh, being in your homeland. But Israel, now enslaved in Babylon, that, that was all gone, right? There's this utter despair that they are in. And, and this is because they forsook Yahweh and are now suffering for their sins. They're longing to, to go back home, to rebuild the temple, right? To dwell in Jerusalem, that great city of God. So in this seemingly hopeless moment, God speaks to his people in Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 3, we read, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is an interesting picture. Um, there's a, a voice crying out for the people to prepare the way of the Lord, which is a very, very weird concept, right? Because it, he's God. Uh, there, there isn't anything that's going to, to block him from, from going the direction that he wants to go. There's not a, a roadblock that you could put up that'd be long enough or a, a wall you could build that would be high enough. I mean, he's, he's God, right? So uh, in verse four, we actually see that this command takes on the form of a sure promise, right? As to where in verse 3 we see the, the call to prepare the way of the Lord. In verse 4, um, we see that it will be prepared. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Okay, so, so nothing is going to stand in God's way. So in these two verses, we find a command for God's people to prepare a way for the Lord, and then immediately following it, that promise that the way will be prepared. And there's no question of hesitation. It's so fascinating how the Bible does this, that uh, th there's no like second thought of like, well, why do we, I need to prepare the way of the Lord if it's going to be prepared? Right? That can be a question that we sometimes ask when we're wrestling with divine sovereignty, human responsibility. What, what, is, this, what is my role uh, in redemptive history uh, and in my community look like? The Bible doesn't ask that. But rather, it, what we should do there is we should receive our command to prepare a way for the Lord while also recognizing that we've been given a promise that our labor is not in vain. Right? That, that God will sovereignly ensure that the way will be prepared and that does not in any way negate the fact that we get called into the work of that preparation. It's a, a, an awesome thing when we see it in the light of Scripture. Um, so what does it actually mean then to prepare the way of the Lord? I want us to uh, think about that question first in Israel's case, because remember this is Isaiah, uh, Old, Old Covenant, Old Testament. And after that, I want us to think, is there any, any relevance uh, for us with this? Uh, are, are we called also to prepare uh, a way for the Lord. So um, for Israel, the language that's used in this text, along with the way that the concepts that are talked about in this text are used throughout the book of Isaiah, uh, would have evoked these images for the people of preparing for a king's arrival, okay? They need to, to sweep the streets or, or clear the roads, make the ground level so that the king's travel would be smooth and easy, which again, very strange concept, since God can like literally move mountains with his mind or something, you know? I mean, like there, there's nothing physical that can contain him. So, so they wouldn't have seen this call as a, a physical command for road labor or, or something like that. 
they would have seen this as a spiritual call for the people of Israel to, to ready their hearts and their lives for God's coming. In this image, I think we get also a great glimpse into the central message of the gospel, which is not that you need to clear the road to heaven. Okay, this is not a picture of, of people doing enough good stuff to make their way to God. But rather, this is, this is the news, the announcement that God is coming to us, right? So, so the preparation that we do is, is receiving our king. He's not asking you to fight your way to him. He is coming to you, right? And that's the, that's the God of the gospel, a God who uh, condescends to his people in order to rescue and redeem them. So the uh, Israel then was being called to align themselves with the word of God, with God's law that they had forsaken, okay? Because God was going to dwell among them once more. He's going to bring them back from exile, help them to, to rebuild the temple, uh, and he was going to establish peace through that eternal kingdom. Okay, so we have the command given to prepare the way of the Lord and the promise given right after that the Lord will, cl- will come. So the natural conclusion that a Jew would have, have taken from this passage would be that this must be a prophecy which tells us that Israel is, is going to uh, clean up their act, right? We're, we're going to get things together. We're going to do what God has called us to do. We're going to be faithful, unlike what we've been in the past, and, uh, and, and we will be the ones who, who God fulfills this, uh, this promise through. But we've read the rest of the book, and we know that they don't get their act together, Right? Um, they get better for a time, but they end up continuing to worship created things instead of their creator. But this is the gospel, right? That God calls us to faithfulness. And even though we fail, even though we are unfaithful, God is the one who sovereignly ensures our salvation, sovereignly ensures that, that his kingdom will come, that nothing, even you and I or any enemies of the kingdom of God will stand in its way. That is such good news. And we see this obviously primarily through the God-man, Jesus Christ, who does what we failed to do, who, who fulfills the law on our behalf and then restores peace between God and man once again. Jesus shows us what it means to perfectly bear the image of our God and so fulfill that creational design that God has made us for. So, so what about for, for us specifically, thinking about 21st century, we're, we're New Covenant Christians, um, what, what does this mean for us? Uh, is there a way in which we prepare a way for the Lord? Um, I think that as New Covenant believers in Yahweh and Jesus, the, the Messiah, we read the Old Testament in some sense as our own story, Right? Uh, we're not ethnic Israel, and there are tons of commands that we're no longer bound to under the, the new covenant, but we also share many things in common with Israel, right? We are our God's people, right? We are God's, God's chosen people. We too have, have sin that, that still separates us from God. Uh, we hope in God's promises and his past mighty works of rescue, and as Israel longed for the coming of the Messiah, So we too, even though we can look back and see that Jesus has already come, we still long for the day of his return. So oftentimes, the Old Testament, even though we're reading it, we can feel like it it maybe doesn't relate as much. Uh, when, When we read it carefully, I think we see our stories woven into the fabric of Israel's story as well. And that's that's there for uh for our good and our instruction. So um 
So what does it mean for us to prepare the way of the Lord? First, like Israel, we are also called to turn from sin and turn towards righteousness as we wait for the king to come. Uh, We see through a multitude of parables in Matthew uh, 24 and 25, as well as other places in the New Testament, that we're always called to be ready for Christ to return. Uh, And I I want you guys to ponder with me for a moment how you might feel if somehow you knew that Jesus was coming back at like 2.30 today. Um, What kind of feeling does that evoke in you? For some of us, it may be that we feel a deep sense of of fear. Maybe we're uncertain, really, about where we stand with God or, or what Jesus might say to us. Maybe you're living your life however you want to live and you're kind of banking on like, you know, later on I'll like get things together and be a good Christian and, uh, you know, fix things then. But uh, right now that thought is kind of terrifying because you've got plans, right? And you want to keep those plans. For some, it could be that we're excited. Maybe we feel confident that uh, we've used what God has given us for his glory and we've rested in his grace alone for our salvation, right? We We anticipate that greeting of, well done, my good and faithful servant. For some, that may just be such a sweet thought because you're suffering so enormously. The thought of Jesus returning is is a thought of of healing and peace, wholeness, coming back to to, to the painful spots of your life. Then for some, the thought of, of Jesus returning just feels too soon. Right? We don't feel, feel ready, maybe, for Jesus to come back. Maybe we're, we're worried that he wouldn't be proud of the life that we've, we've lived, or uh, maybe we feel like we want more time right, to, to do some of the things that we want to do. Whatever boat that we may find ourselves in this morning, the call is the, the same for, for all of us. And that is a call to, to constantly be prepared for Christ's return. Because the, the major point in all those parables in Matthew 24 and 25 is that you don't know. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. It could be today at 2.30. That would be pretty wild, you know. But um, like, like he could come back before the sermon is over, you know. And, it, and it's so easy. I get it that, that we don't think that way because well, he hasn't come back in the past however many years we've been alive, you know. So we kind of just assume that that's, that's the norm. But but scripture really calls us to always be ready for the appointed time that God is going to come. So just like Israel, you know, we, we prepare the way of the Lord by renouncing idols and waging war against sin and the, the enemies of God's kingdom. When you think about if someone uh, important were coming to, to visit or, or see us, we could think about all the uh, all that we could do to make their arrival like as great as possible, right? You might uh, figure out what kind of food or, or drinks they like, you know, to make sure and have it stocked in the house. Uh, might check to see if they're allergic to anything or, uh, you know, if they, uh, if they have any preferences on movies you might want to go rent to make, make that as, uh, as welcoming a place as possible. And the point is just that to prepare for someone's arrival well, you need to know their desires, you need to know what they will, what they want, so that you can be, be ready to receive them when they show up. And the same is true for our Lord. And thankfully, right, he has revealed his will. He's revealed what pleases him in his word, right? He hasn't left us in the silence uh, guessing about 
what it is that he's calling us to do, but, but everything that we need for life and godliness has been given to us through his great and precious promises. So, so we're called then to turn away from sin and instead prepare our hearts for Christ's coming, to meditate on that reality that, that it could be today that Jesus, our Savior, returns. And this means living our lives in such a way where we are constantly thinking about God and the things of God. And again, it kind of comes back a little bit to this this society that we live in, a very godless society, at least when you compare it to most throughout history, that that there are not many things woven into the rhythm of your day that are bringing your mind to him, Um, at least not naturally. I hope that there are many things woven into our days that bring our minds uh, above to the heavens, but those are things that we have to purposefully and intentionally build into our routines, because if not, you can go a whole day and not hear the name of Jesus or, or the word God at all, right? Um, so so there's, there's an intentionality here that we're to be, to be ready, to be eager. Think about like kids on Christmas morning, you know, like they're, they're just so ready. Like when are my parents going to wake up, you know? Um, it, it's that, that energy, that excitement that comes from meditating on, on the great thing that's about to happen. Secondly, we are called to tell others about the king's return. So when we look to the New Testament, we find that this passage in Isaiah finds part of its fulfillment in the person and ministry of John, we call John the Baptist, right? Uh, If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, we're going to read something in the Bible. So (laughs) that sounded real weird. Luke chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. It says this, and this is speaking again about John the Baptist. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Okay, so this prophecy not only pointed to Israel and and to their need for faithfulness to Yahweh as they return from exile, but it also pointed to the ministry of John the Baptist. Okay, so if if John in part fulfilled this, this command and this prophecy, uh, I think that we can learn something if we look at, look at him, look at his ministry, and, and ask, you know, what can we learn from John about what it looks like to prepare the way of the Lord? Well, when we do that and examine his ministry in the scriptures, we see that, that John was a man who was very uh, devoted to God, right? He was very concerned with personal righteousness and his devotion to Yahweh, but he was also very concerned uh, for others. He understood that, that this call means that he needs to announce to others that the king of creation was coming. And in John's day, even had arrived. He called on his fellow Israelites to, to repent of their sins, to find forgiveness in God's mercy. We know that he administered a, a baptism that symbolized this cleansing and, and this washing. Um, we also uh, know from Luke 3.18, it says that he preached good news to the people. 
Some of the more extended dialogues that we have of John are his interactions with uh, self-righteous, pharisaic Israelites. So we see uh, some, some very heavy and strong condemnation. I don't think that John was an angry man, though. I think he was a man of great joy. Uh, I, think, I think the central aspect of his ministry um, that, that Luke points to even is that he was one who proclaimed good news. So from John, we see that we are called to not only look after our own lives and consider, consider whether we are ready at any moment for Christ to return, but it also stands as a call for us to consider those around us. Uh, as, as Christians, we carry one another's burdens and we look after one another. So if my brother over here is, is, is struggling, um, I, I'm called to, to care for him, to love him, to call him back to faith and, and repentance, right? Uh, our goal is for all people to be ready for Christ's returns by, by loving one another and preaching the gospel to one another. The Christian life, I think, often looks like a three-legged race. <laughs> um, you, you, we don't really win by running full speed without a care in the world of what's going on around us, right? We win by leaning into each other and moving forward together as one, right? So the call then to be ready for the coming of God's kingdom is a call for us to minister the gospel to one another and like John the Baptist, proclaim this good news to all. So looking now at the last part of our passage in verse five, we read, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay, so now we're, we're really getting to the heart of the picture that Isaiah is painting for us. He's showing us where all of this is going. At the time appointed by God, the king will return and all people will see the glory of the Lord. Okay, now this is, this is major. Right? When Yahweh returns and his kingdom comes, this will have cosmic ramifications. God will no longer just be specially and, and uniquely revealed to the people of Israel, but rather he will be revealed to the whole of creation, to all peoples, so that, that Israel's salvation will actually become the world's salvation. And this reality actually undergirds the commands above. It reminds us that when God's kingdom comes in full, all people will need to answer for, to, to the justice of God, right? For those who have rejected Jesus, the Messiah, and rebelled against their creator, the manifestation of God's presence will be a day of, of anguish and, and terror. The wicked and guilty will be condemned for their sins and judged righteously by the God who sees all and knows all. And the glory of that, that justice will be seen by all. But for those who have heeded the warnings, for those who have prepared their hearts for the Lord and hoped in Christ alone for their salvation, they will be given these resurrected, glorified, eternal life in the new heavens and new earth. We will dwell with the Prince of Peace and the people of God forever. In Luke 2.14, the multitude of angels, they celebrate the birth of Christ by exclaiming, glory to God and the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So when Jesus comes and his glory is revealed, all enemies of peace will be vanquished. Jesus, the king, will establish true shalom, true wholeness in all of creation 
like none of us have ever experienced before, right? This is why when Jesus shows up, the angels declare his arrival means shalom. Because where Jesus is, there is wholeness. There is fullness. And that's, that's good news for we know that he will return. So let's, uh, let's notice now the last part of verse 5 where we read that all of this will come to pass for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay, so what the, the end of this verse shows us is that the foundation for our hope in Christ's coming rests on the faithfulness and power of God's word. During this time of year, I think there are a lot of really exciting things going on, right? We're excited about getting a break from school or or work. We're excited about seeing family and friends, or uh, maybe you're like me and you're just excited that you can drink eggnog with a clear conscience once more. Um, There's like, there's just so many wonderful things, you know, about, about this time of year. And yet, none of these great things are certain. Uh, Christmas time doesn't somehow like remove everyone's sinfulness for a few weeks, right? If anything, a lot of people's experience would say it might amplify it because um, it can be a stressful time of year and, and a lot going on, but uh, it doesn't remove our sins. It doesn't uh, remove painful memories even that we have. There are many people who Christmas is hard, you know, it's hard because we've lost loved ones or um, you know, there's, there's so many reasons uh, why the holidays can bring up really, really difficult feelings for people. Um, so many uncertainties can feel like they can ruin this, this Christmas expectation. But the good news is that when we are prepared for peace to come, when we fix our eyes on, on Christ and his saving grace to redeem us from our sins, to give us new life, to fill us with his, his spirit, so that we can have the power to prepare for, for the day where we meet him, when, when that is our, our hope and that's what we fix our eyes on, there's nothing uncertain there. There's absolute surety, absolute rock-hard confidence that we can rest in. And therefore, our hope doesn't get shaken when things don't turn out our way or when expectations aren't met. So this Christmas, let's, let's remember that the world cannot give what it doesn't have. And I think it's abundantly clear that the world does not have peace. Thankfully, we know a guy, though, right? His name's Jesus. He's the the provider and the source of all true peace. And he's the one who we long for to return. And praise God, he is coming back. Let's pray. Father, you are so kind and so merciful. We don't deserve to be alive right now. We, don't, we certainly don't deserve to um, be surrounded by people who love us and care for us and pray for us and, and carry burdens with us. And God, we most certainly do not deserve to be saved, to be given eternal life, to be given you, to have you indwell us through your spirit. We don't deserve any of these things but you are a God who delights in boasting of your lavish love and grace. You are the greatest gift of all, and you are pleased to give us all that we need. Jesus, thank you for doing what we could never do. Thank you for for doing what Israel failed to do and what we surely would have failed to do. Thank you for being faithful to the Father. Thank you for condescending, for coming to take on flesh, to die in our place so that we might have new 
resurrected life and a sure hope that one day we will be with you in a world that truly shows us what shalom is. Until that day, God, we pray that we would be a people who are prepared. God, I pray that living acts um, would have fathers who are leading their families uh, in preparation for your coming. God, I pray that you would help us to, um, to, to work into the rhythm of our lives more things that remind us that you are returning and what a great thing that is to dwell on. Uh, and God, I pray that you would give us perseverance in the faith until, until you return and give us great joy uh, at the, the thought of you coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on Living Acts Church, please visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Church.